word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 10, verses 5a and 21 through 33. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. That's true enough, and weirdly controversial. If you just finished teaching school for the year, you know that there's a fair number of students out there who want to be in charge of the classroom or learn what they want to hear rather than what you're given to teach them and that they have a far better idea of what grade they should get than you do. If you're in the working world, employees often gripe about unfair working conditions or how their supervisor is an unfeeling, incompetent jerk. Not to say that you'll never run into a subpar teacher or inept employer, but within the sinful nature, there's always a selfish desire to defy authority and seize power. I could go on, but you can find enough examples of your own if you spend a minute or two on any of the so-called news sites that forgot how to report actual news a long time ago. Besides, Jesus isn't talking about societal tensions. He's talking about the church. He's sending his disciples out to proclaim the best news ever that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's giving them authority to heal the sick, cast out demons, and even raise the dead. The temptation to defy authority and seize power is a big problem within the church, too. 
All sorts of people claim to be disciples and servants of Jesus. But then they go on to spurn his word and say that they have a better notion of who God is than God himself says. In doing so, they claim to be above their teacher and their master. That's a serious problem, but it's still not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about how the world is going to treat the disciples that he's sending out. Jesus is talking about persecution. When Jesus says this to his disciples, he's been going from town to town, proclaiming the same good news and performing the same miracles. Results have been mixed. Many have rejoiced in the news, received the miracles, and acknowledged him to be the Christ. Others have not. Rather than be glad in the Messiah's appearing and work, they've declared instead that he's been doing the devil's work of, you know, healing the sick, raising the dead, and casting out demons. Doesn't matter the accusation makes no sense at all. What matters is that it gives them a reason to oppose him. If you can get your hands on the devil and destroy him, that makes you a hero. So you know where this story goes. Jesus is accused of being evil. And the story goes to a cross on Calvary where sinners claim power and authority over God himself and put him to death. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. If sinners treat the teacher this way, his followers will suffer the same. If they are so unmerciful to the master, they will have no mercy on his servants. So the disciples can expect trouble. How bad could it get? Jesus says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now that warning does have an expiration date, but we're not there yet even now. It's when the Son of Man returns in glory on the last day. Until then, the world is going to oppose Jesus and his word. It's going to call good evil and evil good. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it's going to call you evil too, as it calls him evil. See, it's not enough for true evil to gain a footing of tolerance in the world. Evil always demands supremacy. First, it asks that you put up with it, but then it demands that you bow to it. That's why many of you find yourselves in tricky situations at work, because in order to do your job and feed your family, you're supposed to embrace and promote all sorts of things that have nothing to do with your work and obviously defy both common sense and the Word of God. The workplace today is frequently a religious war zone where you thought you were there to design widgets and produce oobfitzes, but it's reshaped into a place to pressure you away from following Jesus. Likewise, the freedom of religion that we don't prize highly enough is gradually being whittled down to freedom to worship, which means that instead of living your life in a way that agrees with your religious beliefs, you're free to practice your religion only as long as you're within these four walls. 
If you're optimistic that that's at least something, well, the next step is to throttle churches with onerous tax burdens so they have no walls in which to meet. Add that up and it feels pretty doomsday if this trajectory holds. American Christianity is not prepared for this. We're pretty soft because we've enjoyed our freedoms and taken them for granted. As confessional Lutherans with our theology, we're more prepared than most, I think. But this gloomy future is going to be rough all the same. On the other hand, it is far closer to how the church has had to operate throughout most of time and history. And it can be done because the Lord is faithful, because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, and because he will always have his people. But it's still not fun to hear that the world is going to treat you the way it treated Jesus, especially since you're constantly confessing that Jesus was crucified. So the stakes are high and couldn't be higher. Hold fast to Jesus, as he says, and the world is not opposed to destroying your body. Follow the world, he says, and you end up with your body and your soul destroyed in hell. With that in mind, sounds kind of threatening when Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. You've all heard that verse. In front of the whole congregation, we read it out loud to everyone who wants to be a member here. You might think that. If this threat is real and the stakes are so high, I would spend more time talking about it explicitly in sermons, so perhaps I am ignoring the problem or else I'm a hapless ostrich with my head in the ground. That's not the case, I hope. I don't think that I need to spend time stoking your fears here. If you live outside these walls, then you already know that the world is full of sin and getting worse by the day. Unless you're the ostrich, you already know that there's a problem and you're wrestling with concern and anxiety and fear, so it would get pretty boring if I just spent my time making you more anxious and more afraid. That would be like a surgeon who tends to a heart patient by telling him how bad his heart is rather than performing the operation to make the heart better. So when we gather here... I'm not going to spend this precious time stoking your fears about the world out there. You already know all about that. So instead, I'm going to tell you what Jesus says about it. And what does Jesus say? He says, have no fear of them. Let's be clear. Jesus is not saying, as long as you straighten up and do the work of being courageous enough, Then I'll reward you for your loyalty and bravery. That wouldn't be salvation by grace alone, but salvation by works of valor. You and I don't have enough strength and valor to stand firm against the onslaught of the world. Doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Evil is going to do what evil does. Sinners crucified Jesus, and impenitent sinners will go after his church. But by that crucifixion, Jesus defeated sin and death and devil. By his death, he conquered these enemies. When they come after you, 
There are already sore losers hoping to get a punch or two in before they're vanquished once for all. That's one reason to have no fear. These foes are already defeated, even if they don't know it or won't admit it. It's one of the reasons why they're in such a desperate hurry. But there's more reason to have no fear. Here's another. Nothing, says Jesus, is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. You are given to live in a time where many will insist that right is wrong and intimidate you into silence if you oppose ridiculous sins. If enough of the world is telling little old you that you're wrong and unenlightened, you will start to wonder if you're right or at least wonder if being right is worth the hassle. Well, it seems an irresistible tsunami, however. The current insanities and evils of our day are only temporary. The word of the Lord remains forever, and the Lord will make his word known. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Your righteousness in Christ and the worthiness of holding fast to his word, they will eventually be made known to all. There's a better reason to have no fear, though. The comfort of early martyrs wasn't, well, we're about to be eaten by lions, but at least we're right. Listen to what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Again, Jesus does not say, If you are courageous enough, my father will consider you worthy. He says, You need have no fear because my father already considers you of great value, namely the price of my blood that I shed on the cross for you. The Lord takes care of every sparrow. No matter how worthless the world might make you or your faith seem, you are worth far more than little birds. Jesus didn't become a sparrow to save sparrows. He became man to save you. It's done. You're redeemed. Have no fear of those who say otherwise. Have no fear that they are right. And Jesus goes on to say, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, this isn't so much a test or a threat, but a promise. He's not saying, if you can summon the guts to say Jesus is Lord when you're looking at the hungry lion sizing you up, then I'll save you. Now, confessing the name of Jesus, that's, that's just what faith does. And faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives and strengthens your faith by delivering Jesus to you in his means of grace. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit gives and strengthens your faith to confess the name of Jesus by delivering Jesus to you in his means of grace. So even if I don't preach a sermon about the outrageous evils of society today, 
Your faith is still strengthened against evil by every absolution, every hymn, every remembrance of baptism, every Bible text, every trip to the altar. Then you go home and read the Bible some more. You teach the kids Bible stories. You turn off the fear TV and you go do something nice for your neighbor. You go about your life knowing that while your enemies can do temporary harm to your body, your body and your soul will be raised up to everlasting life. Have no fear of them. By faith, you know that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy of your redemption. When it is given you to suffer in his name, you do so not because you fear God or man, but for the joy, the eternal joy that is set before you. You're worth more than many sparrows. You're washed clean by the blood of Christ. And he confesses your name before his Father in heaven. What joy! What everlasting joy! In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.